thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for transforming our lives, Lord. You are such an amazing God. We just can't say thank you enough. Lord, I pray for Peter this morning as he shares your awesome, amazing word with us, Lord. In your awesome name, amen. Good morning. Oh, well, I hope you can hear me. Right at the back, Robbie, could you hear? Thank you very much. Thanks, Robbie. <laughs> okay, so if you have your scriptures, we are continuing with our, our study from the book of James. And today we'll try and conclude or finish uh, chapter 4 uh, from the book of James. And we have one more chapter left uh, before we study uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, a wonderful book indeed. It speaks of the wonderful riches that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we'll be starting from James chapter 4, James 4, and just a few verses, verses 13 to 17. And so, because it's such a short passage, right, just four to five verses, hopefully the message would also be short, right? Um, now, I'm sure many of us uh, have faced situations where important decisions have to be made, uh, and many of us have gone through that. I mean, for example, um, in my case, uh, as a family, um, we have to make an important decision. Almost 12 years ago, as a family, we had to make a decision whether we should leave Sri Lanka and migrate and come to New Zealand, or we should stay back in Sri Lanka. That's an important decision. Uh, many make decisions whether they need to relocate to another city, to another country, uh, because of a job. And in making such a decision, as far as I was concerned, there was many voices. One set of voice saying, stay in Sri Lanka, life is comfortable for you, right? You have a good job, a great job, stay there, life is comfortable. Uh, and then there was another set of voice saying, uh, we should leave for the sake of our children, right? Uh, because their father, and that was me, was stateless, okay? So many, many voices were there, right? Uh, Two years ago, um, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland called me and uh, said that we'll fly you and your wife down to Scotland, have a look at the place because we want you there. Okay, so we had to make that choice or that decision. Uh, this January, uh, there was a headhunting company that asked me whether I would like to relocate to South Australia in Adelaide. Okay, so these are sometimes decisions that we have to face. Now, I'm not trying here to, uh, uh, or trying to boast about my job offers, uh, but these are situations that we all face uh, where we could either make a decision based on the attractiveness of the job, right, the financial benefit that you can get out of a job, or we could genuinely seek the will of the Lord in the matter. And, and I'm sure many of us have come across such situations. And in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, James is addressing Christian business people, right? Now, all the James is addressing Christian business people is applicable to each and every one of us. And James calls uh, for their attention to the seriousness of the matter. And that's why he says in verse 13, Come now, or as NIV puts in, now listen, you fellows, now listen, or come, 
now. And business travel was very common, was quite common in the 5th century. We see many instances in the scriptures of Christian business people traveling. Right? We see, for example, uh, Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, and Romans 16, verse 3. We see Lydia, the seller of purple, another businesswoman, traveling in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And the problem that James was addressing was that decision that they took to relocate because of business was made purely for economic reason. And God was completely out of the equation. That was the problem. God was completely out of the equation. And note in verse 13 what James says here. Look at the detailed plans that are there. The timing was decided. Today or tomorrow. The people involved was decided. We. The place was decided. We are going to such and such a city. The duration was decided. Spend a year there. The activity was decided. We shall buy and sell. And the goal was decided. We are going to make a profit. Right? Now in all of these details, do you ever see God in the, in the equation? You don't see that. Right? Where is the will of God in the plan? It does not come out in verse 13. Right? So with that context in mind, let us read these few verses. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Acts 4, verses 13 to 17. It says here, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And verse 15, Instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And verse 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Right. Now there is not much to say in these few verses. Right? So therefore, I'm going to simply deal with two fallacies. I'd like to talk about two fallacies uh, that comes out very clearly in these verses. So, and the first one is the fallacy of life certainty. Right? And secondly is the fallacy of self-confidence. And that's what comes out very clearly in these few verses. In verse 14, we see these Christian people, business people, make no allowance at all about the uncertainties of life. Right? And they act out their plan. They want to act out their plan as if they will carry on and complete it. And James points to their fallacy or points out by starting saying, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Now let alone for the year ahead. You simply do not know what will happen tomorrow. They were acting as though they had full control of their future and were not cognizant of the transitory nature of their lives. And you can see here that James uses the metaphor of a mist to explain this transitory nature of life. For what is your life, James says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears just for a little while and then vanishes away. Now when you think about the transitory nature of life and how uncertain earthly life is, now it can be quite depressing. Right? 
pretty depressing. If you just think about it. However, as a believer, we should not be depressed. Why? Very simply because although our earthly life might be like a vapor, although we do not know what will happen to us tomorrow, or even a year ahead as far as our earthly life is concerned, yet the Bible says our life in Christ and our eternal state is certain. Right? Now that's what we are certain of. And I was reading just last week Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, and I'll read that out to you in Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. It says, this hope, what is the hope? The eternal state that we have in Christ. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul. is an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner, our Lord Jesus Christ, has entered for us, even Jesus have become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then again, the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 7, verses 24 to 25, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, he can save us, how? Right to the uttermost. Right? And that's the anchor to our soul. Right? So although the life is transitory, Although we do not know what will happen to us after we leave this hall and disappear and go, we do not know what will happen to us, yet we have a certainty in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So that's as a believer, but the picture is quite bleak for an unbeliever. Someone who do not know the Lord as their Savior. See, as an unbeliever, someone who do not know the Lord as their Savior, your hope is only in this world and in this lifetime. And unfortunately, the Bible says your life is the most miserable. You are, of all people, the most miserable. The sum total of your experience, the sum total of all what you want to do, the sum total of your existence to make your plans, to store up wealth, to engage in business activities, build a golden nest egg to live comfortably in the future. If, you, if that's the sum total of your existence, what does the Bible call you? A fool. Right? That's it. That's what the Bible calls you, a fool. And the Lord Jesus Christ relates this parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 20. A parable of a rich man. After all the hard work he puts in, planning for the vineyard, planning for the harvest, uh, putting in all the fertilizers that he had wanted, right? and then making bigger and bigger barns because he got a bumper harvest, and he made all his plans to sell all his produce and be rich. And in verse 19, the scripture says, and this is what the God, Lord said, Soul, you have made, and this is what the rich man said, Soul, you have made many goods laid up for many years, so take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But what does the Lord say in verse 20? But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and whose will those things be which you have provided. Right? And that's what happens to people who do not know the Lord as their Savior. Now, last Friday, Ernie and I visited Gary, and Ernie related a, a story of, uh, about Kelly Tarleton. I never heard of this, right? Now, I'm not going to steal Ernie's story because he can tell the best. He can embellish in any way that he wants, right? So, therefore, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put Ernie in a spot here. Uh, and I believe that he can tell the story the best. So Ernie, could you come and 
relate this story once again about Kelly Tarleton. Has anyone been to Kelly Tarleton's? I'll just give you a quick history on Kelly Tarleton's. Oh, no, you've been to Kelly Tarleton's. Kelly Tarleton's is a, um, an aquarium, really. It's up in Auckland. It's based in Auckland. It's based on the waterfront in Auckland. A couple of years ago, I was with a school from Marion Primary School. We went to Auckland, and we stayed in Auckland that night. We arrived at the Kelly Tarleton's Underworld SeaWorld at about 9 o'clock. We unloaded, we went down, and then what they do, the kids stay there overnight, and we were the fisher, and it's quite exciting. We went into a room where the uh, people who run the place come in, and they give the children and the parents that are there a history on the building of Kelly Tarleton's. And Kelly Tarleton was a passionate man about the sea, and he always wanted to create something so that people who didn't go into the sea or go around could go under in all these places and see all the fish life and the aquarium life and everything else. Uh, he started up north somewhere, I think it was up in the Whangarei area, and then he sort of worked his way back, but he couldn't get a thing called resource consent, something that we as a church know what resource consent is like. So he came down into Auckland and he was given a little bit of land under the ground, which were septic tanks, weren't they, David? The mind of a man is a visionary, but I see no vision in septic tanks themselves. What he did with all his crew was they cleaned the whole lot out, got resource consent, and within those septic tanks, they built the underwater sea world for anyone to go through and have a look at a price. It was fantastic the way he created it. They went through the whole history, even to the point where when you walk through the tunnels, have you, has anyone been there? When you walk through the tunnels underneath, it's a big curve and you go through and you have sharks coming over you in one ear and you have fish and you're in there on this conveyor belt and you stand and it takes you right the way around. It's quite an exciting thing. And they were very passionate about it. And um, once he had got resource consent, he set about setting this place up. He practiced bending plastics because it was too expensive to ship from the States. And he practiced bending plastics in a hot oven, which was his wife's cooking oven, and I don't think that went down too well according to the people that were there. But as he created the bigger ones to form these domes, and David reminded me that they had, no, they said that you couldn't form them perfect the same way, but he did. And it was all created, and they linked them all together, and that millions of pounds of pressure now sits above your head as you go under all these, all this fish life. Quite exciting. Um, when they opened, and I can't remember what year they opened, he was in debt. <clears throat> now, this, the debt itself, they weren't sure how they were going to pay it because he had to borrow quite a sum of money. Within about the six, month, six months, or may, may have been the seventh month, I can't quite remember, he was at the gate, and the person that came in was the person when he had paid that uh, entry fee was the one who paid off the debt. The debt was paid within half a year, six months. It was absolutely incredible. And I found that quite stunning. But not as stunning as the lady's statement after that. She said that he was, um, he was happy. I mean, it was. 
It was an amazing thing that he had done. It was his lifetime passion, and he had finally finished it. And then that night he died. And I was just blown away when she said that. And as I looked around, everyone was, wow. But to them it was, but he had done it. It was an exciting thing. But it was still on my mind that that night he had died. Thank you. So if you do not know the story of Kelly Talton, well, I'm sure when he faced the Lord, what did the Lord say? You fool, right? This night your soul is required of you. Right. I don't know whether Kelly Talton knows the Lord. I'm sure he's not a believer. Right. But for an unbeliever who does not know the Lord, the transitory nature of life is so depressing. Because your eternal state and your life in Christ is not certain. So that is the fallacy of life certainty. Now let us look at the other aspect, the fallacy of self-confidence that we find in these few verses. Now, while it is true that our earthly life as a believer is transitory, it is uncertain, we do not know what will happen to our earthly life today or tomorrow or two years ahead. Now, it does not mean that as a Christian we should not plan, right? Now, let me tell you this. It doesn't mean that you should not plan. In fact, James says in verse 15 that you should plan by all means. He said, go ahead and plan your future plans. But what he says is this. In all your plans, we should seek what? The will of God in the matter. That's what James says. Seek the will of God in the matter. Now let us, what he says is, instead of saying, let us go today or tomorrow to that city or to this city to do business and make money, the Christian should say, if it's the will of God, then we should do. That's what James says. If it's the will of God, then we should do. And none of us should assume that we can live a life independent of God. To leave God out of the equation is to live a life, as James says, to lead a life of arrogant self-confidence. Arrogant self-confidence and self-sufficiency. It's to implicitly or explicitly say, Lord, I don't want to consult you in any decisions. I can do it myself. I don't want your input into the plan that I'm going to undertake. Right? Uh, I can make it happen without you. That's what it means. And it's to declare arrogantly that you are in full command of the future. And that is why in verse 16, James refers to such an attitude as what? Arrogant boasting. Arrogant boasting. And he considers that attitude as evil. And that's what we see very, very clearly in verse 16. Now, back again to verse 15. Note that in verse 15, it's a conditional clause. right? In verse 15 it says, If it is the Lord's will, then we shall live, and then we shall do. So it's conditional. If it's the Lord's will, then we shall. And this conditional clause means that we should not use this statement mechanically. right? Now, some believers I know tend to use this statement, Lord willing, very mechanically. Almost to everything... Uh, that we do, right? Almost everything we do. For example, you can ask Joe, hey Joe, are you going to the Bible study tomorrow? So what does Joe replies? Lord willing, I will be there. Have you heard of that statement? Right? Everything is about Lord's willing. Now this is a very, very mechanical use of that statement. Look at, for example, the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul employs this statement, the Lord willing, in Acts chapter 18, verse 21, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19. But he does not use that statement in Romans 15, 28, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 and 8. The fact of the matter is, whether Paul employs the statement or not, it's very clear that Paul conditions his plan on the will of God. And that's what matters, right? He conditions his plan on the will of God. Now, when I was uh, looking through this and trying to uh, understand what it means, I often uh, I ask myself this question, how do we know that the plan that we make is in the will of God? How do we know? Now, that's a, a very, very difficult uh, question to answer. And I'm sure we can spend many, many uh, hours talking about that. Can we employ, for example, Gideon's fleece to know the will of God? And I know many people try to do that, right? Uh, and I have done it on several occasions. And let me tell you, on each occasion, it has failed. <laughs> right? Some people try to employ this Gideon's fleece. Now, let me point to you this one fact, that Gideon already knew the will of God when he put a fleece, right? He was not seeking the will of God in the matter. He already knew the will of God when he put out the fleece. And you read that in Judges chapter 6, verses 36 and 37. And perhaps God responded to Gideon's, Gideon's fleece so as to encourage the person, encourage the man, uh, perhaps to emphasize the will that God revealed to him. And there are many ways in which we can, uh, I believe, that God reveals his will to us. For example, on many occasions, I have questioned my motivation to embark on a plan. I have questioned that. And then to discover the reasons have been quite self-centered. Right? And the moment you figure out it's quite self-centered about you, then you know it's questionable. On some occasions, I realize by taking a course of action uh, that I create more damage to the work, to the ministry, to the family that we left behind. And very clearly, that's not the will of God. See, one thing that you must recognize or understand that God has given us a spirit-filled mind that we can employ to test out our course of action. That's what God has given you. Okay, And I'm, on some occasions, you might not experience a peace of heart regarding the matter that you want to take. Right? Remember one thing, don't expect God to reveal things to us in dreams or visions or send a bolt of lightning so as to jolt you in a particular direction. God does not do things that way. Often when God speaks to us, He speaks to us in a still small voice. A small voice of spirit-filled reasoning and judgment. And that is how I see, and that is how God has responded to my question, is it your will and plan and purpose? And what is interesting to note here is James concludes chapter 4 with a very interesting verse. And what is the verse? The verse says this, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And that's the verse that James concludes with. Now, I know that many take this verse and give it a wider meaning. That's what it does. There many people do. Uh, if you see a need to do good, if you don't take the opportunity to do good, then it's a sin. And that's the wider meaning that many people do take. And this wider meaning or application is true. Right? It's not wrong. It's true. 
I remember once driving past a cyclist. Now, this happened near the hospital, right? Uh, driving past a cyclist who had obviously fallen, right? Because the bicycle was on the side and he was on the pavement and he was rubbing his leg in pain. I remember passing him. Right? And there were so many traffic going by that it was actually dangerous to stop. So I continued going. And I remember that my conscience was troubled and this verse came to my mind. To him who knows how to do good, to do good and does not do it, it is sin. Right? So this wide application is true. However, that is not the, the meaning of this verse in this context. In fact, James was putting on or was putting these Christian business people on notice who arrogantly think that they can do whatever they plan independent of God. So if I paraphrase verse 17, this is what James really means. And this is what he says. Now that I've pointed this matter to you, James says, and now you know to do good by seeking the Lord's will. If you don't do it, it's a sin. And that's what James says, right? Since I've pointed this matter to you, and since you know, right, it's, 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 since you know it's, uh, it's good to seek the will of God in all matters, and if you don't do it, James says, then it is a sin. You have no excuse. Right? And that's what verse 17 means in this context. It's been a great journey so far, uh, going through chapter 4. In, indeed, I enjoyed going through chapter 4. Uh, and not only chapter 4, of course, the entire book of James. Now, if you realize that chapter 3 ends up with a discussion of wisdom, you see that, right? A discussion of worldly wisdom compared to godly wisdom. And in chapter 4, uh, James speaks of three things, three characteristics of worldly wisdom. And that's what we have considered right through chapter 4. Worldly wisdom is covetousness, which results in conflict. That's what James says. Worldly wisdom means being judgmental. And worldly wisdom finally means being arrogant and self-sufficient. Right? Not putting the will of God in all matters, in the things that you plan. And in contrast, James says that godly wisdom is about submission to the Lord. It's about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and not being judgmental. And it's about yielding to the will of God. Now, none of us as believers should live a life independent of God. James has put us on notice, right? So next time you have a job that takes you out of the city, next time you have to make important decisions, next time you intend to marry a boy or a girl, make sure that you ask the Lord's will in the matter. We have been placed on notice. And any plans implemented or done outside of the will of God is sin. And that's what James says. Okay. So I'm not going to dwell too much longer. Since I've finished, I'm going to stop and enjoy an early lunch. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for a timely reminder of everything that we do, that we should do it and subject it to God's will and plan and purpose. So help us, Lord God, in every step of the way. Father, we thank you for the remembrance that we have had this morning of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of the manifold wisdom and the love of God, love that was so lavishly and so overabundantly, Lord, given to us. 
We thank and praise you for that. The Saviour's precious in his worthy and matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.